music, entertainment, forces life. The forces station. This is Team Talk. Hello and welcome to Team Talk. I'm Charlie. And I'm Jill. And wherever you are in the world, whether you're roaming free or tightly locked down, for the next 30 minutes, you're in good company. We've got lots lined up for you today. Real life stories, helpful advice and honest conversations with our forces community about pandemic life. Plus all the usual feel-good moments, we've got an exclusive interview with football icon Chris Kamara and we meet 11-year-old Imogen, winner of the Pride of Britain Lockdown Award. I'm joining you from the Falkland Islands, whilst Jill is linking in from the UK. Wherever you are in the world, stay tuned for your weekly pick-me-up and a virtual hug from the Team Talk gang. As always, we'll start by exploring a specific theme from our collective pandemic experience. This week, we're talking about mental health. Stress, anxiety and loneliness. In 2020, these are feelings that are probably familiar to all of us. Forces Line, the helpline run by SAFA for everyone in the military community, has reported an 80% increase in requests for befriending and support from those feeling isolated during lockdown. Charities supporting veterans with their mental health have also seen a surge in demand. Jill's been finding out about the vital work that they do. BFBS. Team Talk. This is my station. This is the Forces Station. For some veterans, maintaining good mental health is a lifelong challenge. Former Royal Marine Sean Ivey was deployed to Norway when he was hit by a car and suffered a brain injury. Back at his unit, he began to struggle. A 4-5 commando when you're in the sergeant's mess and you're surrounded by the epitome of what I would expect someone who's serving the country to be to then admit something isn't right uh, mentally. It felt like some kind of weakness and I'd look in the mirror and I'd tell myself, come on, get a grip, sort it out. And I hadn't even been medically discharged then. I hadn't even lost um, the career that I absolutely loved. I was struggling at home. Um, I couldn't be trusted in the house on my own. Um, I was I was prone to leaving things like the cougar on. I'd leave the taps running. I had dropped my little girl a couple of times, which was quite dangerous and quite frightening when I, I think back at that now. I sat at the bottom of my bed one day and I just broke down into tears. I, I was crying for around two to three hours. And that was when I'd made the decision um, that my family, my kids would have been better off without us. And I started putting the plans together to go down the suicide route. Um, from that there to where I am now, I'm so immensely proud of where I've come. Is that important to you that somebody else who's maybe feeling that might hear this and might think differently? Absolutely. I just want to help others. The great thing was we're having a brain injury. They found that there was a brain there, so I thought, well, I might as well use it. <laughs> um, I decided to go on to the troops to teach us. I'm teaching in college now and I've, I'm very open about my mental health. The first lockdown was a very strange time for all of us. We were thrown into this situation that was completely unfamiliar. How did that affect you? I took full advantage of the time at home. I focused on getting my mental health into a place where I wanted it to be. Sean will always be grateful to the Hidden Wounds team from Help for Heroes. They set up online therapy sessions for him during lockdown. Combat Stress also acted quickly to support veterans. Robert Marsh is Director of Fundraising. A lot of veterans who come to us, they, they do say that we are saving lives by the services that we offer. You know, PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder doesn't stop just because there is a, a pandemic. And in fact, anxiety and isolation brought on by the pandemic has 
be making life hard for you know some of the veterans that we have looked after. We obviously had to close our residential facilities, so we did that in a very safe way. But what we have done is adapted and enhanced our phone and video services to provide one-to-one therapy sessions and offered access to our online peer support. And we now see numbers um, on the on the up. You know, people are coming to access our services and using our helpline. On the one hand, that's good. People feel that there is there is a service that that we can deliver and they can engage with it. Um, but of course, clearly, we're worried about the numbers. We have had to cancel a number of fundraising events, but actually we have got an incredibly generous and loyal group of committed donors who have actually been giving more. And so actually our income has held up pretty well. I'm not sort of too worried about this financial year, it's next financial year. Help for Heroes relies on public donations for 97% of their income. The shortfall this year means that redundancies will have to be made and they'll no longer operate out of recovery centres in Catrick, Colchester and Plymouth. For Sean, who owes so much to the charity, it's a bitter blow. The one in the north has been a casualty of that. The staff were absolutely fantastic. The Hidden Wounds team have changed my life and that of my wife and my kids because they've got a better version of me. It's heartbreaking, it really is. It wasn't just a place where veterans went to conduct a mental health course. It was somewhere where veterans were made to feel part of the service again, where you could go and speak to a friend there or even a stranger but knowing that they'd gone through sort of similar situations to you and where you can have that serious talk, but then on the back of that serious talk, you can joke about it. It's so important to look after our own mental health, to look out for our friends and family, and if we can, to support the military charities who we hope will always be there for our community. What an open and honest chat with Sean. Jill, mental health is such a hot topic at the moment, and it should have been like this for a long time, I mean, I've had friends and family that I've lost due to suicide and he's in a much better place now. And some of that is thanks to that support that he's received from Hidden Wounds. Yeah, he's had huge help, but I think also he's put a huge amount of hard work in himself and he recognises that. And it was amazing to talk to him. It was really powerful and I was close to tears at points, but then he also did that brilliant thing, that real military banter of just spinning it in a split second and then I was laughing and suddenly there's that comic relief. He's so good at talking openly about mental health and he just wants us all to have those conversations and maybe if we did, maybe if we were more open, um, people would get the support that they needed and, and not just bottle it up and suffer in silence. Exactly that. I mean, that's that's the thing, isn't it? It just is starting that conversation. You don't need to feel embarrassed. You don't need to feel ashamed. There are lots of people, especially during this pandemic time, people are struggling. You know, even the strongest of characters, we can all have those times where we feel low. We have thoughts that maybe we shouldn't. We just need to turn to somebody, whether that be a friend, a family member. And I know that's hard because we can't physically get together sometimes. But pick up that phone, send that message. It's so important. And there are some really good support services as well. So SAFA is there for anybody, whether you're serving or not. Um, Combat Stress in particular has got some great videos. And it's all about 
helping with your anxiety, your anger, your mood. And that's not just for people who are veterans. It's for anybody that can watch that and just come away with some tips and think, this is how I can help myself through this. And sometimes just recognising that there's a bit of an issue and you need to put a bit of work and attention into it. And it can make such a difference. Absolutely. I will just mention the websites as well. So we heard from helpforheroes.org.uk is their website. They've got an urgent appeal on there at the moment and you can find out about how to find support for yourself or someone you love. And also combatstress.org.uk. You'll be able to make a donation there if you want to support that charity. And also you can find some really good videos on there as well to help you through if you're struggling with your own mental health at the moment. Jill, thank you so much for sharing Sean's story. Team Talk. We've all certainly had our down days during these lockdowns, but maybe like me, you're always boosted by inspiring stories of people doing amazing things. One light throughout the lockdown has been 11-year-old Imogen, who was supporting charities and highlighting the fact 7.1 million people were key workers. She spoke to Amy Casey about her amazing work during the first lockdown. So at the beginning of lockdown, I saw Captain Tom on the news walking around his garden and being so amazing, raising so much money for the NHS. And I wanted to do something to help as well. So I decided to do one key PR for every single key work in the whole of the country, which was 7.1 million. So I decided to do 7.1 million key PRs. My goodness me. Now, we caught up with you sporadically throughout this challenge because it's a huge amount of people. You raise so much awareness. I don't think we knew that there was that many key workers. Yeah, it was quite a shock when me and my mum worked out there was 7.1 million because I thought there would be like, there wouldn't be as many. I thought there would be like Mm. a million, but I didn't think 7.1 million. Gosh, okay. So we had a little chat with you, put out the call. Maybe people can donate to some of your charities that you're supporting, but also, can people please help with keepy-uppies? Because, I mean, you had to think about not just doing keepy-uppies every day because you had to go to school and all this sort of stuff as the pandemic rolled on, didn't you? Yeah, so I've had to juggle the 7 million keepy-uppy challenge and school. Um, it's been quite difficult, but I managed to do it and it's really amazing that we finished the 7 million keepy-uppy challenge and I, I managed to fit all my homework in and that's quite... <laughs> I think that that is an extraordinary, extraordinary thing that you've done. And so much so was the whole nation impressed by how hard you've worked on this challenge uh, that you got a very special award. So tell me all about it. So I became a lion heart at St. George's Park, which is one of 23 in the UK, and being able to get it for like doing fundraising. And it was just absolutely amazing to become a Lionheart. I saw Captain Tom, Joe Wicks all, all becoming Lionhearts, and I saw Captain Tom was the captain, as he's a captain. <laughs> and it's just really amazing to be one of 23 in the country. And it's just absolutely amazing. And you got asked to get on board and be recruited by loads and loads of different footy clubs as well, didn't you, Imogen? I was shocked at how many football clubs got involved. <laughs> All the native stuff sending really nice messages. It was really, really kind. Now, your inspiration, Captain Tom, when you had the chance to meet him, how did you feel? I, I, I was... Captain Tom was the man who inspired me to do the challenge and just meeting him was just uh, the time of my life. He was absolutely amazing. He raised so much money. He's such such a kind person and it's just really amazing to meet him. What did he say to you? 
So I told Captain Tom about my challenge and he said it was pretty cool and that's quite a cool thing. He's done a lot to keep us inspired throughout the lockdown, as have you. When I was 11, I don't think I would have stuck with it. And I'm just, I just admire you so much because you stuck with it and you really showed the nation what you're made of. So now that it's all done and dusted, are you going to have a little rest? Uh, yes, I will probably have a rest and I might think of doing another challenge, but I don't think it'll be quite 7.1 million. <laughs> BFBS, the forces station. This is Team Talk. 11-year-old Imogen there, who of course earlier this year was crowned a BFBS lockdown legend. Now, if you want to donate to her cause, all you need to do is search Just Giving Keepy Uppy Challenge. We're halfway through the show and that means we're due some family time. Here's what happened when Charlie and Louise met Ed. Hi and welcome to Family Time. My name is Louise and I'm the founder of the charity Little Troopers. We support the children and the families of the British Armed Forces. Charlie and I are here to have some family time with Ed to learn about his pandemic experience out in Cyprus. So Ed, it's lovely to have you here virtually all the way from Cyprus. Can you take us back to where your military family journey began? Yeah, so I first met Tristan when I was 17. And Tristan's in the RAF, is that right? Yeah, yeah, in the Air Force. As a 17-year-old, it was a very sort of, I don't know whether I would say scary, surreal, quite daunting, you know, because you're not used to the sort of all the barbed wire and, you know, people standing at the gates with guns and, and all of these different things. So that dating from a distance went on for probably I think it was three years before we moved in together so you ended up saying I love this guy like it's <laughs> worth the distance I'm going to leave my life in Devon and I'm going to move up to Lincoln and it wasn't much longer after that that there was wedding bells December of 2017 I proposed to him so Here's me thinking that I'd have, you know, six months, nine months or whatever to plan a wedding, a nice summer wedding. And um, all of a sudden, it's a bit like, um, well, I've got the opportunity to move to Cyprus. We're sort of a bit like, well, we could wait, but it just made sense to get married in the March. And uh, we happened to get married on the weekend when it was the Beast from the East. Oh, no. So you had the wedding, um, you know, Beast from the East, be it. Um, and then was it pretty soon after that that you moved out to Cyprus? Was it kind of wedding, pack the bag, get on the flight, you know, and move with your husband to Cyprus? Yeah, I think it was a month and a half afterwards that we moved to Cyprus. How did you find it? I, I would say it's a very women, you know, particularly from my point of view, not actually being in the military. It's a very woman-dominated space. You're saying it's very female-dominated because obviously a lot of the spouses are female military wives, but there are, you know, husbands that are there, but like you say, there aren't as many. You know, from someone who is in the same situation as me, who's not in the military, who is a husband, I I can't really, there can only be a handful, you know, you could probably count on one hand. And what about um, the positives? So, you know, I've been out in Cyprus, it's like a little village, isn't it, behind the wire? Yeah. Have you found it enriching in any way? Have you made some, you know, good friends or support groups in or out of the military community? I haven't really made friends outside of the military community because I think probably the language is one of the biggest barriers. Um, But I have 
uh, very, you know, I would say the friends I've made on this camp have certainly changed my life for the better. Obviously, there's been a global pandemic which has affected you in Cyprus as it has across the world. You know, how was um, lockdown for you in Cyprus? I think we were quite lucky here because they were very on top of it. So we went into lockdown, I think, not the first week of March, but the second week of March. And it was it was full throttle right from the word go. For me, personally, I didn't mind the lockdown. It was really useful for, I know it sounds trivial, but food shopping, because they introduced a rule whereby before 10 o'clock, anyone who was susceptible to the disease or had a disability or was old could go in before everyone else. So that was really useful. So during the pandemic, there was, and the lockdown, there was uh, obviously pros, cons to that. You mentioned that one of the benefits was being able to go and use those hours for shopping uh, and mobility, being able to get around. Now, during, as lockdown was easing, it was, the pandemic is still quite active, but you had to go for an operation, didn't you? How was, how did that feel going, not only for an operation during a pandemic, but in another country as well? That must have been quite daunting. For myself, I thought, well, I've been waiting for this forever. And I said, if it's meant to happen during the pandemic, it's meant to happen. You see the difference here, because the doctors are on, the GP is on camp. It's all very familiar to what you have in the UK. But the the hospital is, is private, you know, is outsourced. So I wasn't really sure. It was the not knowing, you know, does the doctor speak perfect English? Because obviously there can be quite a few complicated terms. And there must be this vulnerability to COVID. You must have been, you know, there must have been some worry, I guess. Like, would you catch it? Well, they test you for COVID before they let you into the hospital. The doctors on this, on, on Akrotiri, um, you know, I just can't praise them highly enough. I, I've never had such a good sort of medical team. You know, there really, really are just stars, absolute stars. And you, you, you know, you had your operation and you had that recovery time in the sunshine as well, alongside a global pandemic. Um, it's been so interesting to hear that story. Just one question from me, I guess, is would you have a tip for other military families out there going through the pandemic? I would say that the most important thing is your family unit. Because obviously there's lots of stories of loneliness for people who have lived alone during the pandemic. That's really the only way that I would say we got through it was each other. So talking about your military family unit, would you say there's a song that sums up or got helped you to get through that lockdown together? Patience by uh, Take That. And is there a particular reason why? It's just one of those songs you can close your eyes and and just forget about everything. I didn't even notice I had the... Uh, the oxygen mask on when I was listening to it in hospital. Just hold me close inside your arms tonight. Don't be too hard on my emotions. Cause I need time. My heart is numb, has no I'm in love.
Cypress there sharing with us his experience of facing an overseas lockdown and an operation. He also talked about feeling a bit isolated on camp. Most of the other spouses he meets are women, and he hasn't encountered many other same-sex couples or much support that's tailored to him. For this week's In the Know, I've been finding out about the Army LGBT Plus Network from Sergeant Alistair Smith-Weston. This is BFBS Team Talk. The Forces Station. The network is made up of volunteer members from across the whole army. We've got ranks ranging from lieutenant colonel all the way down to private soldiers on all aspects of the diversity spectrum. Our main role is to support and advise the chain of command across the army to provide support, mentoring and assistance to any service men and women who are struggling or just need any general advice about bringing their whole selves to work. We have a host of individuals who do work with a hierarchy and we have to have that ability for them to come to us and say, right, here's my question. Because they come from an area of non-understanding, there isn't a silly question. It might be a little bit of, oh, okay, yes, I get your question, but you shouldn't have said that or don't say it in these terms. But we have to have that open dialogue. As an old soldier, the only stupid question is the one you don't ask. The network had some big plans for summer 2020, but of course the pandemic changed everything. When we would normally celebrate Pride in the UK and the Pride season, and a very particularly poignant one this year because we are on the 20th anniversary of the lifting of the ban of LGBT service members in the armed forces, where we would have had a massive celebration and we could have done so much physically, we had to move all of this online. And so we've hosted quite a few seminars, we've hosted quite a few online question sessions, a little bit of fun sessions with the pub quizzes. We've tried to encompass as many people as we can and try to even broaden the audience that we would normally have because we can reach more people via social media than we can from the old-fashioned posters in the barracks rooms and on the notice boards for the diversity and understanding. As we heard earlier on Family Time, Ed sometimes feels left out as a male spouse, particularly on an overseas posting and with the added isolation of lockdown. Alistair had a more positive experience, but would encourage same-sex couples to find the courage to speak up and seek support. I think a lot of it does come down to the individual units. In my time in Cyprus, the battalion would always make the effort to try and make my, my husband at the time feel included. We had a Christmas function in the sergeant's mess, and they had little gift bags for all of the ladies, but they'd specifically created one of a more manly style rather than having lipsticks and different makeup aspects. They put other little pieces in there for them. So the unit was making us feel encompassed. Unit welfare staff within different units will always try and encompass what we used to call the wags, the wives and the girlfriends. But as diversity and families and society moves on, they're now starting to slowly encompass that element. But sometimes the the individuals, particularly the partners in same-sex relationships, can feel that little bit ostracised because it's taking that little bit of time just to catch up with everything. And sometimes it does take that individual 
um, a, a male partner from a same-sex relationship sticking their neck out a little bit and saying, hang on, what about me? What about us? They can reach back to the network and we can give them advice and information on the best way to go about sorting that and even potentially assist them by reaching out to other agencies and other units and saying, let's get involved. BFBS. The Forces Station. This is Team Talk. Team Talk. Alistair Smith-Weston, Diverse Families Lead for the Army LGBT Plus Network. And you can find the network by searching on social media. It's that time where we catch up with a special guest here on Team Talk. Chris Kamara, a.k.a. Cammy, has been talking to our reporter Chris Keane about his lockdown experience. And unlike most people, he actually enjoyed it. For us, as a family, it was amazing. Basically, every day, my grandson Solomon would come with me and muck the horses out and do all that type of stuff. So we bonded amazingly well. And it was brilliant. It was really, really brilliant. Time that we never had with our own kids. You know, I was working, playing football away, training, getting ready for training, getting ready for the next game and all that sort of stuff. This was the only thing that mattered, was looking after the grandkids, really. And we had wonderful time eating meals all together, playing games together, doing Zoom bingo and stuff like that. It was just the silver lining to a pandemic. It's great to hear that you didn't have an absolutely terrible lockdown, you know, as you said, silver lining. So this is a big question. Did you run out of toilet roll? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I think we had enough toilet roll in the first place. So uh, I actually went to the horse suppliers and they were actually selling it. Extortionate prices, I might add, but they were selling it in, in the horse suppliers. I know you had a big tour line that with the big band and it was all very exciting. That had to be cancelled, of course. But you have still been able to do a few things during this lockdown period, which is great. But in terms of getting on these new shows and being invited onto new shows, what sort of hoops do you have to jump through and what are the restrictions like? Every single show that you do now, you basically have to have a COVID test. I've been tested five times altogether. And the ones that don't do the tests take your temperature, you have to sign a form, and you have COVID security on site. If you take your mask off in between filming, it can only be for eating purposes, and there's always someone there to tell you to put it back on. It's been difficult, but it's you can cope with it. Mm. You know, we understand what's going on. You know, I don't want to contract the virus, and I don't want to give it to anyone, and I'm sure they feel exactly the same. So uh, you've just got to accept it and go along with it. The good thing was during that time, Ben built a studio down here because the first show that I did was Celebrity Juice. And I did that from the front room of our house with the rest of the family in the other room. And you cannot do Celeb Juice with Keith Lemon with the other family in the other room. <laughs> I'm telling you now. Uh, especially as just before I'm about to go on air, my wife pops her head round the door and says, no swearing. So all of a sudden, I'm under complete pressure. So the silver lining to all that is Ben said, I can build a studio down the bottom. You can be there away from the family. You can do whatever you want, say whatever you want. So not only under COVID restrictions, you're under restrictions from the wife as well. 
Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, no swearing. <laughs> and to be fair, it was the most weirdest show I've ever done because you're thinking about what you're saying rather than when you're with Keith Lemon, you just go for it, you know, mm. and have fun. Mm. So let's move on to the big C word, my favourite time of year. I'm talking Christmas. Lots of people are saying that Christmas is going to be cancelled this year, which is rubbish. But you can change all of that because you are a great singer. I absolutely loved Here's to Christmas. I'm not just saying that, I loved it. And you've got some new music for us this year. Tell us what we can expect. We've got two new songs, Happy New Year and Dear Mr. Claus. Happy New Year is reflecting on the year that's just gone by. And Dear Mr. Claus is an open message to Santa, which I hope that people like. Richard Scott, who wrote these two songs, is an absolute genius. But there's loads of other brilliant covers. I get to sing along to a Greg Lake song, which is just basically the piano. I believe in Father Christmas. Growing up, I loved Gilbert O'Sullivan because I loved the piano. And I love Elton John. He was my hero after Gilbert. And to be able to sing along just to a piano soloist has been brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Wonderful song. And I wish it could be Christmas every day. We've turned that into a swing song, which I hope people like. BFBS, the forces station. This is Team Talk. The fabulous Chris Kamara there, helping us get into the Christmas spirit with around a month to go. That's it from us this week. It's been another jam-packed show. Indeed it has. We've learnt about the crucial lifelines that Forces Charities have offered to those in our community suffering with their mental health throughout the pandemic. And we enjoyed a burst of feel-good energy from 11-year-old Imogen who's been raising money for Covid key workers by doing over 7 million keepy-uppies. We touched base with Ed in Cyprus, who's safely recovering from his operation, and we got some great advice from Alistair Smith-Weston about how other same-sex couples can ensure that they're supported. Team Talk has been produced by TBI Media with support from the Armed Forces Covenant Fund Trust. We'll be back next time for the final show of the series. Until then, take care. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.